Welcome to episode 267 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. Thank you for listening. Before we get to Stageworthy, I wanted to mention again my audio drama Saint Nick and the Big F*** Up. Saint Nick and the Big F*** Up is a holiday audio drama in six parts written and performed by me. And it tells the story of a part-time mall Santa who's having the worst day. Chapter 4 is available now, and it and the previous three episodes, which I suggest you check out first, can be found at SaintNickandTheBigFUp.com, as well as everywhere you get podcasts. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the archive of all 267 episodes at StageworthyPodcast.com. If you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby, and my website is philrickaby.com. If you want to support Stageworthy, consider dropping some change in the virtual tip jar. You can find a link to that in the show notes. Your support helps me continue to bring you great conversations in Canadian theatre. My guest this week is Polly Esther. Polly is an award-winning writer, storyteller, and performance artist from Toronto. This is really our first meeting. Uh, for me, one of the important questions is to find out, as an artist, how you describe yourself. <laughs> Wait, do we have enough time? Um, I... We need all the time, all the time you need. <laughs> um, it's interesting because uh, I've really, right now, I describe myself as um, uh, a writer, storyteller, and performance artist. And it's really interesting to, to uh, the fact that I'm calling myself uh, a writer because I'm just this, I'm literally like my, my storytelling pieces in my one woman shows, it's all like 100% true, all autobiographical. And uh, I don't think of myself as like an actor. Like I just, mm. I get on the stage uh, or, you know, on, on Zoom, you know, mm. now or yeah. whatever. And uh, I'm just basically like telling stories about myself. So mm. I never uh, like call my, I don't call myself an actor because it's, it's like I, I have to, you know, uh, create a narrative for what I'm saying, but it's just like, I'm just telling you, it's just like, we're just meeting at a pub, you know, we're just meeting for coffee or something. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, Hey, what'd you do last week? Oh my God, I did this. Like, it's mm -hmm. not, I'm just, and it's what a lot of my, uh, reviews say as well. It's like, it's just like your best friend is talking to you or it's like, right. you know, Polly's just like talking to a bunch of her friends. Right. And so, and I really, and I really like that. Cause it's like, it's, I just seem to have this uh, connection with the audience. It's just like, yeah, you're just hanging out with your pal, which I really like. But then there was one review I got um, last year, which was great. And those are always great. Um, and it was for my new show, Hollywood, last year at the Orlando Fringe. And um, the reviewer called me, um, oh God, it was like a, like a wonderful self-effacing actor. And I was like, oh. oh my God. Like, I mean, and people are like, mm -hmm. that's a great, and I was like, he calls me an actor. <laughs> like, I guess, I guess like you have to, 
Because you have to construct the show, right? So you're rating it and I have to, you know, you're changing how things happen chronologically mm -hmm. sometimes to, to have it flow, you know, uh, in like a better. It's just like, oh, that happened before. Oh, maybe I'll talk in a flashback in this point. But then you're like playing with time mm -hmm. so that like uh, it's it's just it's just this lovely flowing piece. Um, but yeah, to be called to actually have in a review like a positive thing saying, you know, <laughs> like an actor. And I was like, wow. Like it was, it was a total, mm. it was a total shock to me. But I also, um, because, you know, I talk in my shows and then I talk about uh, a lot about like, like my OCD and anxiety and depression and being a recovering alcoholic. Like there's, I just got a huge laundry list and I just, I bear it all on stage. Um, uh, not not physically. Mm. <laughs> no, actually, yeah. no. In 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 my last in Hollywood, I actually do have a part where I'm running around in my underwear trying to get ready for the airport. But um, and wow. I haven't packed. So so that was that was another level I took up. I was just like, I'm really nervous about this new show, and I'm like, uh, why don't I run around in my underwear? Because I was actually doing that when I realized mm -hmm. that I wasn't packed, and like my airport taxi was coming in like 10 minutes. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm always scared shitless, uh, doing a uh. show. I love doing it and I find so much healing in it, but I'm always terrified. And I was like, I think because it's like a total brand new show, uh, I think it would be funny if I like ran around in my underwear and then like had to get dressed. And so it was, it was great. And it helped me like try to get out of my head more, but it was also mm. like, Oh my God, like I'm running around in my underwear and I'm like, whatever. But one of my, <laughs> one of my shows, this just be warned, my stories are going to go all over the place. So, sure. um, uh, one of my shows and it just, it just had to be the Saturday matinee at like 1230. I was running around and all of a sudden I heard, cause it's choreographed to this song, um, and all of a sudden I heard this guy in the audience go, uh oh. And I realized that my my left boob had come out. Uh oh! It wasn't in uh, the, the brazier anymore. And I was like, you know, I, I should have been like mortified or whatever. Mm. But I was just like, I'm a professional. And I literally just like looked down and scooped it up and just shoved it back in, and then continued to run around. So I was I was actually pretty proud of myself. <laughs> For just like not like having a total panic attack and like running out of the room and not even finishing the show. So I was like, I've really made it now. Like <laughs> I've done it. I well, and I technically like did I did I technically strip for the audience? I don't know. Maybe burlesque is that what you could have called it? But um, you could have called it. I think you could have called it burlesque. Yes. I, that's something you could throw in there. Totally. Even funnier was there was another show. Um in the fringe that year uh called my left tit <laughs> and it was it was a really great show it was serious it was about um uh this guy and it was him telling the story of his friend who passed away from uh breast cancer and it's the story of kind of her relationship with her dog so you're seeing the show sometimes from the dog's perspective and sometimes from her perspective and it was a really beautiful show but i went to go talk to him at the, you know, the beer tent later on, and I told him what happened. And I said, maybe I should just do this every show and like have a sticker, you know, so I can, like, <laughs> we can do cross promotion. And so literally like I can have your postcard or something on my boob, you know, 
for, yeah. for hey, you're seeing this show. Why not go check out My Left Tit? So <laughs> he thought that was great. <laughs> if you timed it right, it, you could do it like at the moment yeah. it happened. You could like your tit could fall out. And you could be like, and while that while we're talking about this, <laughs> it's the new spot for the for the the for plugging shows. Exactly. You mentioned um, that you're always you're always terrified when you're performing your shows. Yes. Is that, do you think that is because they are autobiographical that because they're you, that, that that's, that's why you're terrified. It's, it's definitely part of it. It's because for like, I'm like, it's like, Oh my God, I have to go out there. And I think it's more about performing. Um, like, oh my God, are, are people going to like this? Are they, you know, it's what a lot of performers go through. It's just like, oh, I suck. Like, you know, I'm kidding myself that I think I can do this. And, mm. um, that, you know, so many of us <laughs> you know, go through, um, but it's really, uh, I think it is just the performing part and like, um, there's a part of me, it's just like, oh my God, are they going to judge me? Are they going to like me? Because mm. I, in in my show, uh, Damn It Jim, I'm a comedian, not a doctor. It's mostly about um, talking about um, <clears throat> my alcoholism and then how Star Trek has helped me in my journey mm. as a recovering alcoholic. And uh, I talk a lot about uh, being bullied. Like I was bullied my whole life. Uh, and, you know, bullies are still out there today. But it was like it started in school and then I got it from my mother as well, unfortunately, and then my first husband. And so this is like a mindset I've had my entire life. Mm. And it's something I've done a lot of healing uh, over the years. But, you know, there's always I'm always going to be on this journey of healing. Like, I'll never be like, I'm cured. Right. It's Mm. like something that you just keep going through organically through your life Um, and getting on a stage and telling my stories has helped in a huge way. I never expected it to be like that. I just, my first show was um, uh, Weird Al Saved My Life. Mm -hmm. And that was, I had, um, so I hadn't really done anything uh, until like just before I turned 30 like I was in uh, an awful marriage uh, that I talk about in, in Damage Gym. And then I left uh, and I started taking classes at Second City. Um, and I found that that was like, I was really enjoying it. So just basic improv classes. And then after I finished that for a year, um, I auditioned for the Second City Conservatory. And like having no experience except these classes, I got in, which shocked the hell out of me. I was like, oh my God. (laughs) So I did that for uh, another year and a half. And that was really, I, it, it, it became, um, I don't know what it's like really today. Cause I, while I was in the conservatory, um, there was a lot of weirdness going on with some of the other people in Mm. my group. Uh, Some of us formed our own comedy troupe didn't last very long uh we called ourselves careless whiskey (laughs) um (laughs) and uh putting together our own show and directing ourselves not having somebody come in i really understood the meaning of artistic differences um and it it didn't go Mm. great like fortunately today everything is fine 
we're, you know, we're all friends, but that's like, you know, 20 years ago. Um, so I, I was so disillusioned by like working with others that I started doing stand up on my own. And then I was enjoying that because it was just me. But then I was getting angrier at what I was experiencing in the comedy scene in Toronto like back then and there was just like it just seemed like a lot of like backstabbing I would see um like more you know not not at Second City really but there were favorites you know at Second City and then uh just seeing how some people would you know act in like the stand-up scene and then um and then I just like my stuff I guess people were enjoying but there was a lot of bile coming out like it was angry stuff and people I guess were liking it but I was feeling like shit so I stopped doing that and then I finished Second City and then I was just like I you know do I do I keep doing stuff I don't know and then I just started helping out at the alumni theater Mm -hmm. uh you know like near king and parliament mm -hmm. and i just like i auditioned for a short play there um didn't get it but they they were like oh like you're we really like you like do you want to just help out at the theater mm -hmm. and uh and it's all run by women it's it came from like out of u of t um in the 20s i think because women weren't allowed to act like on the stage there and so mm -hmm. a bunch of women were like well, let's create our own theater. And so they did. And it's been going for like, I think a hundred years. I don't know if it just passed a hundred years. I think it just, I think it just passed a hundred. Yeah. So it's incredible. Um, and so I ended up being there for like three years or so. And I did everything from uh, uh, mostly bar and then bar manager. And then I would help out uh, as secretary on the board and, uh, and then props and then just like voices backstage with shows mm. and then uh, stage managing. Like I had no training whatsoever, but it was just like, Hey, why don't you be the assistant stage manager on this show? And then all of a sudden, mm. like I've got one show and then they're like, Oh, Hey, do you want to stage manage the next show in the season? And I'm like, <laughs> okay. So <laughs> it's like literally like just learning as I go. So that was really great training. And then I left and uh, I was just like, I don't, like, I'm not feeling it anymore. And then a couple of years later, uh, I I saw this uh, ad in Now Magazine for the Pillow Fight League. Um, yeah. And I was like, what is this? And I called the number and I booked, like, uh, like my tryout um, and went and it was just ridiculous. I'm like, what is this? Like, I don't even know what this is. And I was like, it said 19 to 35, like looking for women. And I'm like, Hey, I'm 35. I've just made the cutoff. And then I went and it was like, I ended up having to like fight this professional wrestler, like this one wrestler from Mississauga on this inflatable uh, bed with pillows. And it like, it was extreme pillow fighting. And I'm like, Oh my God. And I was just dying. Like I was dying. I couldn't breathe. And, and I, I was just, I was awful. Like I was, Oh my God. But I kept like falling off and then getting up. And, and then, so technically I sucked, but then they said, okay, we got to do like your post-match interview and <laughs> my, you know, like my training from second city and everything. I, I knew how to improvise stuff. And, you know, growing up in the seventies, you know, I watched wrestling, mm -hmm. you know, like Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair and Roddy Piper. And, you know, and so I just like gave it what for and, and they really loved that. And then I got a call later on, um, 
that night, like saying, Hey, do you want to join the league? And I was like, Oh my God. And <laughs> I had no idea how much that would change my life. Like I, uh, it's actually where my name came from polyester because we had mm. to choose, um, of course, name. you had to have like your wrestler name. Yeah. And so basically our, we, it was real fights. It was real fights. Um, but our persona was basically us times a hundred, right? So I'd been a waitress like my whole life. So I was like the waitress from hell. Uh, and it was, it was so freeing, like to not give a shit. Uh, like at the start, um, people didn't like me. Uh, and I, and I just, I wouldn't care. I'd like, you know, tell the audience like go fuck themselves and and uh and then end up you know fighting and just like you know we had training um and it, it was like mixed martial arts wrestling and boxing so it was real fights with the pillow right um but we were getting so hurt because we were just learning it as we went and uh yeah and so and as as an homage to all the awful uniforms i wore over the years that's where polyester came from um and uh and it was it was really it was really good. It was actually from the league when I when I got the call. The guy who ran it, who created it, Stacy, um, he said, "Yeah, I think you're great. I thought your interview was awesome. Um, I want to talk to you about your teeth." And I was like, "Oh my god!" Because that's the one thing that has been uh, a huge thing all my mm. life. Like my teeth are like they're crooked, they're jagged, mm. they're not perfect, and that's a huge thing that people have made fun of me for my whole life. Like even up till today, like a lot of people say, Oh my God, like why you're, why don't you do commercials or do all this stuff? And I'm like, because mm. they don't want me because of my teeth. Mm. I've always been labeled, you know, quote unquote, the ugly girl right. and people like they're aghast. And I'm like, well, I, this is something I've heard my entire life. So I'm just, I'm used to it. So when he mentioned the teeth thing, in this phone call, like my heart sank and I was like, Oh my God. And he goes, your teeth are freaking awesome. Like, I think maybe you should use it like as part of your character. Like maybe you'll bite your opponents if you get pissed off. And I was like, what? I was like, <laughs> somebody's talking about my teeth in a positive way. Like it was a total game changer. And it felt mm. like 35 years of like this awful boulder sitting on me just like flew up into the sky it was like the greatest thing ever and I realized you know it'll it still hurts today if somebody treats me like that but it's like if you're gonna judge me just by looking at me and coming to the this conclusion within like mm -hmm. five seconds then just go fuck yourself I don't want yeah. to have anything to do with you right which is yeah. <laughs> which is you know which is true so like and you don't know what you're missing <laughs> so I started like coming out of my shell more and basically uh, using polyester as a, like I became this character, even though it was me. And so I would literally come out and I would just I sucked at fighting like I my record was five wins, 20 losses and five DQs. Uh, so, and I'm very proud of that. <laughs> so, so I went, my, my goal was just to give, cause there were other fighters, they took it seriously, which was so cool. And there were fighters that were really, really good and in such physical shape. And I got in great shape and I missed that. That's the part I missed the most being in such amazing physical shape, but I couldn't fight on this hugely 
athletic competitive level. So I'm mm. like, I, I've always turned to comedy, like, like all the, all the trauma and stuff I went through in my life. I gravitated towards Weird Al Yankovic. Mm-hmm. So he's been like with me my whole life. Like that's where I found salvation. And so I was just like, I, comedy just constantly comes up for me in my life. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to fight as best I can, but I've got asthma, so I can only last so long. So I'm just going to, you know, yell at the crowd and like shove people off their seats. And, you know, so I, that was what I did. I broke down the fourth wall just to like, I wanted the audience to really be a part of my fight because they were really just watching a lot of the other ones and just being able to like some of our fights were at the mod club and Hmm. I would come out on the stage and they would announce me. And at the start, people like booed me. They didn't give a crap. But people started coming more and more to the fights, and I would come out and I'd be like, "Fuck you!" <laughs> Screaming to like five hundred people, which is like today I get nervous as hell, like performing in front of thirty people. And I think back, and I'm like, I literally would come out and scream "fuck you" to five hundred people and not care, mm. like, and it was mm. the greatest feeling ever. And I just totally let go of everything, and then people are like, "Yeah," and then people really started to like my like my character and I'm like hmm. I don't understand this now <laughs> I like it when they booed me I don't know how I feel about people actually cheering for me now hmm. but then I would just get like angrier um hmm. but not really angry but like try to play it up more and it really that was like the thing that actually totally made me let go a lot and I did that hmm. for three and a half years and then left and did nothing and there was a woman tracy aaron smith um Mm -hmm. who does solo theater um i've known her for 20 years she was actually my first second city teacher and i've done a lot of workshops with her over the years um and in 2014 she messaged me and she said hey polly there's this uh there's this festival in new york city called solocom and it's uh it's brand new solo comedies and it's just like you just do one show over a weekend and uh i think you should do it and i was just like are you insane Hmm. like i don't know how to like i I've, i've taken like so many workshops just to like work on my writing and and do more stuff but i'm like nothing seems to be like sticking in my mind. Like, I don't know how to put together a show, like a one woman show. What the hell would I talk about? And she's like, it could be, it's literally great. Just look it up. It's actually, you can do work in progress stuff, or you could like even just read from a script. It's like, there's like no pressure. It's just all brand new solo comedy things. And I think, uh, I think you would really be great at it. And Uh, And so I was like, there's no way I could do that. Like, there's no, I am like, I can't, there's no way I could possibly do that. I would like fantasize. Oh my God, wouldn't it be so great to do a one woman show? And then I'm like, there's no way I I can't write a show. And Mm. then um, put it out of my mind. And like a week and a half later, Joan Rivers passed away. Mm. And obviously she was uh, somebody I really looked up to in life like she kicked the shit down of like so many doors in the industry Mm. for women and for her so i thought in her honor i'll fill out this application like i'll do this submission to this new york festival for joan so i did that and then i sent it off and i was like okay that's for you joan and 
And then uh, it was right before the deadline. And then two weeks later, I get an email. It's like, hey, congratulations. Because it wasn't a lottery. It was curated. So they right. looked through every submission. They're like, we love the sound of your show. Weird Al saved my life. And we'd love for you to come down to New York City and perform it. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so now I'm like, how, how do you write a one-woman show? I don't. So I had two months. I had two months to figure it out. And I put it off until like, it's like a couple of weeks before. Yeesh. And then um, I went down and I honestly don't know how I did it. I went, mm. I had sheet sheets everywhere. And <laughs> it was, it was, uh, that was my first one woman show doing it. And mm. I, and also I did it because there's always going to be an excuse to, it's like, oh, take this course or do this, or just like rent a theater with some friends and just put something on. And it's just like, no, I'm too busy. I'm working too much. I'm so tired. Like I don't have time for rehearsals. Like there's always an excuse. So that was another thing that I did. It's just like, oh, this is a festival in New York City mm -hmm. that has said they want you. Yeah. And I'm like, if I if I end up chickening out, I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. I'm going to be an idiot. And so that was the big push. It's like, okay, so I have to, I have to do this. And then I went down and I still wasn't ready. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing, but I did uh, like, I, there was only five of us. Uh, there was 90 mm. shows. Only five of us were people outside of New York city. Cool. So they pair, you didn't need to do a full hour. Like, so they, I just did like a half an hour and they paired me with this other New York girl uh, so that, you know, people would come to see her and cause nobody knows mm -hmm. me. Um, so they would come to see her and then stay for the hour to see my show as well. And, um, and I went out and it was Peter Michael Marino who created Solocom and he's become one of my best friends mm. and he's so great. And I was just, I was like, I just, I'm like, I'm going to get on on the stage and I'm going to throw up. Like, and then I'm going to run away. Like that's going to yeah. be my show and I'm going to be a laughing stock. And you know, what am I doing? And it just by, I guess the universe was trying to help me out, but the performer that was supposed to be the hour before me never showed up. Oh, you know, typical New Yorker. And he had like the whole hour. So I was able to get into the theater earlier and like Ooh. take my time setting up. And then I was just like, okay. And then, um, and then, you know, Peter came in, he's like, Hey, how you doing? And I'm like, I can't, I can't, it's, ah, you'll be fine. He goes, just come out here and talk, just come out and just like mm. talk to everybody. And this was, this was the thing that like changed everything. He goes, it's just, just, it's just a bunch of your friends in the audience and just, just talk to them. Like that's mm. all you need to do. And so that's, that's why when I get these reviews and they say that it, like that, that literally changed everything for me. Mm. Um, mm. I was still feeling like throwing up the entire time, but I still did it. And then, and then I was like, I've got like cheat notes everywhere. And he goes, do you want more? He goes, yeah. you, like, we've got a bunch of blocks back there. Mm -hmm. do you, do you, if you need them, I mean, you can, you can hold stuff. If you want to like read it from a page, it's totally fine. Cause other people are doing that. This is like, cause it's all brand new stuff. So people mm -hmm. know that th this, there's no judgment about like fully developed shows. This is what this festival is about. So if you want to mm -hmm. read stuff off a page, you can totally go ahead. And I was like, I don't have anything on a page. <laughs> and, and so I basically, he just added a whole bunch more blocks in the front of the stage. And I just like taped index cards with stuff shoved on them everywhere. And then, and then they were like, okay, do you want us to let the audience in? I'm like, um, 
yeah. And they're like, are you ready for the audience to come in? I'm like, no. Uh-huh. Okay. Do you want another minute? I'm like, no, because then I'm just going to keep saying this. So just let them <laughs> in and I'll hide backstage. Um, yeah. And then, mm-hmm. and then, you know, I, I just did it. And mm. afterwards I'm like, I can't believe I did that. But it was like having to put myself in a situation, like going out of town mm. and then doing this and then reminding myself, if you don't do this, like you're, you're going to hate yourself. Yeah. So that's what I kept doing. So I did solo com um, for three years. So every November and then, and then, 2015 is where I, uh, I debuted Damn It Jim. So it's been five years now and that's my main show. And it's like basically in like, like the sixth version, it's gotten to a place mm. where it's really good right now. But that was the best way for me to uh, get my start. Otherwise I wouldn't have like, I wouldn't have done anything. And yeah. from there uh, I, I threw myself into the, I applied to Orlando Fringe for 2018 and then got into that and I was like oh my god Mm. like (laughs) so I have to go to Orlando now and it was exciting (laughs) and I was like oh my god and I'd actually hadn't performed um I performed I did an updated version of damn it Jim in 2016 because they invited me back they said we're inviting people back who uh represent the spirit of the festival to be ambassadors like to help introduce shows and help newcomers to the festival um and we'd like you to be one of those ambassadors and i was like what like like, everything Mm. was still such a shock to me i was just like (laughs) people like seeing me on a stage like it still didn't Mm. make any sense like when i was polyester the fighter like that was fine because it, it was me, but not me. But then mm. I kept, I've kept using polyester and I identify as poly today. Mm. I prefer to be called that um, because it helped me really find myself. Yeah. But, um, but then as I kept doing my shows, I was like, Oh, I'm not fearless when I go out anymore because it, it is really me talking mm. about myself and bearing my soul. And it was just like, Oh my God. So then the nerves got bad again. Um, and then the last time I went down to uh, SoloCom in 2016, it was one week after Trump was elected. Mm. Uh, and New York was like a ghost town. Like people yeah. were devastated. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't recognize it was like it, New York became my second home and I didn't recognize it at all. Nobody was going to shows because I'm like, mm. everybody should be going to a show now. Because yeah. everybody needs to laugh. And we yeah. had no idea what was going to come over the next four years. But um, yeah. And so I, I then I went and I wasn't happy with my show. Like I still did it. And I came home and I, and just from the feeling of like everybody in New York, just feeling so awful. Um, my depression took hold mm. of me again and I did nothing uh, I did nothing for a year and a half until I literally, like a year and a half later, I'm on the plane to the Orlando Fringe to mm. do it. So I, when I applied in uh, like November of 2017, it was like I, I, I honestly didn't know what I was going to do, and I thought this is I'm just going to do one one last stab at it. I'm going to apply mm. to this 
fringe and it was Peter Michael Moreno. So just like Tracy Aaron Smith mm. did for me for Solocom, Peter Michael Moreno messaged me and hounded me going, you, you know what? I think you should apply to Orlando. Right. I think this is going to be really good for you. I think if you get in, I think it's going to be awesome. And, uh, and so I was like, you're insane. <laughs> but then I listened to mm. him and I applied and then obviously they picked my name and the draw mm. and I was like, Oh my God. And then I showed up in Orlando and I don't recommend this. I wasn't ready at all. Like I didn't, I had my show, I reworked it a bit differently. Um, but I, I really wasn't ready because I, I was still uh, trying to fight my way out of my mm. depression. Um, mm. But I went and uh, it was my preview and my venue. Um, it wasn't like a real theater. It was this kind of old planetarium room and it was like the, the like a tarp to make sure mm. the sound didn't bounce everywhere so a tarp over the audience and then you know the pipe and drape wow. so my my dressing room was just like two feet of space like behind this pipe <laughs> and drape like I could walk back and forth behind the stage but it was like only two feet wide and I'm there and I'm like I don't I don't even like again I'm like I don't know what I'm doing like, I'm kidding myself. Like what? And I had just turned 47. So all of this stuff came really late in life. Um, so it's not like I had theater in my life, like all these years or through mm. school. And so it was like, I'm standing behind like, you know, the this pipe and drape. And it's a few minutes before the show. And all of a sudden my tech um, person comes behind. She was amazing. I'm just, I'm so lucky that I had her because she was very, uh, she was very tough and a lot of the other performers were like scared of her for there, mm. but she was like, we just understood each other. And she was like very protective of me. And um, we got along like a house on fire. And so I see her coming behind the drapes and I was like, Oh my God, what's wrong? Like what, what, why, why, why are you here? Why, why, what's going on? And then she just put her arms out and she held my hands and she's like, I just, I wanted you to know that it's almost full. Mm. there's like I think four empty seats like four mm. or five empty seats and this was a preview so yeah. a lot of like wow. critics coming as well or volunteers so that they could see it before you know everything opened but she's like it's like it's like full so like by the time I get out there it's probably going to be like like sold out and I was like uh, uh she's like I just want you to know I'm really proud of you and you can do this mm. like just go out all you have to do is walk on the other side of this curtain and and do your thing mm. like, just be you just just talk to me it's like that's all you need to do mm. so like every single time i just keep getting this advice and it's mm. it's it stayed with me and it's really helped me mm. mm -hmm. um in the performing and then and then she, <laughs> she left and then i'm like i'm gonna throw up again yeah and i and there was like this huge part of me it's just like i could like the announcements are gonna come on like you hear it fringe you know, and the sponsors, blah, blah, blah. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show, you know, that we hear at every fringe. Yeah. And, uh, and then I'm like, and then the lights are going to go down and I have to walk on the other side of that curtain mm. or I could run for the door and just leave. <laughs> and I, and there was this huge part of me that actually I was like, I could do that. Mm. Uh, but then I was mm. like, I, but then I could never come back and I couldn't yeah. do this. And then, no. I mean, everybody would be talking about me. That would be cool. Yeah. But then it would be like, oh my God, like what happened to that, you know, that woman from Canada 
They wouldn't be talking about you in the way that you want to be talked about. That's for sure. So I'd be infamous, but not yeah, the way I'd want not to be. the way that you want to be. No, um, I have a, I have a question for you, and this is sort of a, an interesting. I'm starting to suspect we're approximately the same age, and so this is a question. It's a weird out question. Yes, and I'm my question for you is, what was the first Weird Al song that you remember hearing? Oh, um, Eat It. Mm, okay, I I'm uh, I'll be 50 next year. Mm-hmm. I was born in '71. Um, I remember this is another part I don't uh in damage jam I'm gonna be just like I am on the stage very open mm-hmm. I'll actually preface this with a trigger warning just in case mm-hmm. anybody uh is not okay to hear it um sure. you can come back in a couple of minutes I'm very open about everything in my life because I found mm-hmm. it's got so much healing and then by talking about it on the stage people want to have conversations afterwards um, mm-hmm. and that's actually what my shows have become. It's like, it, they said that my, my, my shows like helped them understand what they're going through and that, and it's, and it's just, um, it's really lovely. And that's, it's something mm-hmm. I never expected to happen from just wanting to get on a stage and do a show. So I, um, uh, yeah. So obviously when he first became big, I mean, I, I, I heard eat it and, uh, I thought it was hilarious because we all, I mean, every single one of us had thriller on mm-hmm. ca- on cassette with our Walkmans, yeah. right? Like everybody in the world, like people today don't understand. <laughs> like no. we all, like everybody in the world had this album or cassette, you know, um, which is, it's, it's unthinkable today. Um, and, uh, and the impact it had on, on music and the world. So eat it was like, I thought it was funny. Um, but it wasn't, uh, it didn't, he, he, he didn't really have the impact on me then. Um, but then, on, um, Christmas, and this is the part that the trigger part, so people can mm. t- uh, turn off for a little bit if they want Christmas of 1985. Um, I was unfortunately, uh, followed into my apartment building, um, and attacked and, mm. um, raped. Mm. So I was 14 mm. and, um, everything, it was just, uh just awful like obviously Mm. and um over the next uh four years I made four attempts on my life Mm. because I didn't understand I didn't understand the world I didn't Mm -hmm. understand what was going on six months before my attack my my I lost my two best friends in one week my my granny who basically raised me um passed away uh and like a few days it was a few days off from the librarian at my school was um, murdered in mm. High Park. It was um, mm. the the pretty big gay bashing incident right. in Toronto's history. And so that was just horrific. And then mm. like six months later, this happens. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm 14. It's already hard enough to be a teenager and I don't understand what's happening in the world. And then literally a month after that, the, the, the challenger blows up. And then mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. few months after that was Chernobyl. So right. I'm like, I, mm. what's, what's, what's I not like, I really believed it's not like I, I didn't believe in God before. It was just like, just you, you did believe in God, but I just became total atheist. I didn't understand mm-hmm. how there could be a God to make all these things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I was, I, I, I had insomnia. I never slept. Um, I just started doing badly in school because I just like, what was the point of doing anything? And because I couldn't sleep, uh, I would listen to the radio, like my transistor radio hidden in my pillowcase all night long. And one Sunday night uh, on Chem FM came the Dr. Demento show. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm listening to that. And it literally changed. Like I keep saying this changed my life. This changed mm-hmm. everything. But it's like I remember these specific things. And they, they've had huge impacts and you know i'm hearing songs you know like you know kipadonna and existential blues and then weird al yankovic was like mm-hmm. pretty much on the charts like every week because he, he was becoming big and uh i actually started i would laugh like i started feeling normal again mm. for this one hour every sunday night um and it was but it was weird al there was something about his songs that I really connected with. Like it just, mm-hmm. uh, it was real things that was happening in his songs. It was like, even mm-hmm. so it was funny stuff, but it was like, Oh, I like, I can connect with that. Like, that's funny. Like I can see that happening. And he became, yeah. Like that's why I found like, like I said earlier, like salvation through laughter, like that mm-hmm. it's, um, it, he totally saved me. And that's why mm-hmm. my very first show i called weird al saved my life right so i basically kind of went through each decade of my life and talked about two shitty things that happened to me uh and then at the end like how you know how he helped me get through that so he helped me mm-hmm. like his music i could lose myself um you know and forget the world but at the same time remind myself um of the good in the world you know the world is going to hell there's evil there's like there's no point like why am i even here i'm here to listen to this like this this mm. makes me laugh this brings a lot of people joy so yeah. maybe it is worth sticking around and it was like so it was a huge huge thing so he helped me through like you know my trauma and depression and mm-hmm. so i've always gravitated back to him for that yeah it's always interesting. You talk about the the music and, and, and the artistry. I think for me, I'm always reminded the fact that a lot of people who don't buy the album and just know a couple of songs mm-hmm. don't know things like he's not just parodies. There's like oh, his, yeah. his original songs. And of course, the 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 polka interpretations, mm-hmm. the polka medley on on every album as well, yes. which, you know, you've got to admit that that is hard to do. Oh yeah. You know? So there's a lot of, a lot of talent there that a lot of people missed for me. The first weird Al song I ever heard was again on the Dr. Demento show mm. in the early eighties. That was uh, I love Rocky road. Yeah. Which was my first, the first time I heard that name. Mm. Yeah. That's a good one. And that was before he had a band. That was, I think him in a bathroom. Yeah. The, another one rides the bus. Was before no, you're that. Right. right. It was uh, another one rides the bus that was in the bathroom. And then, yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's so funny. He, re- <laughs> the bathroom that he recorded that in, um, cause I've made, you know, a lot of weird owl friends. Uh, and then my, my, the show that I debuted last year was Pollywood, um, was about me doing a GoFundMe campaign to actually go to LA to see him get his star on the Hollywood walk of mm-hmm. fame in person. And so I met people there uh, that actually uh, have like, you know, toured around 
you know, there's the the UHF tour, like people have gone mm-hmm. around to like the locations where the, it was filmed. But my friend Ethan has actually like he went he broke into the the the, the building and into the bathroom <laughs> where, he, <laughs> where he recorded that. So there's like so I, I can see the picture of him there right now is just it's a just big silly grin on his face. But yeah, I've <laughs> so I have friends that uh that do this but like of all the crazy things that happen that seem to just happen in my life now and all the mm. adventures i go on it's just like this is this is normal for me mm. like, so like nothing surprises me anymore so you mentioned you mentioned before we started rec- recording um that you you're because of the damn it jim show uh, you end up on a lot of star trek podcasts and talking star trek so uh, i think that we should talk about star trek a little bit mm. um i get the sense that you were not a Star Trek watcher for your entire life. Is that right? That's correct. What was that your, what correct. started you on the, <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. It's the one little piece of research I did. Um, <laughs> what, what was your, um, what, what took you to, to, to Star Trek? What, 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 what made you go from a non-Star Trek person to a Star Trek person? This, this is actually in Damn It Jim, my show, um, which I should, I should, I should send you a copy. So you can watch sure. it. Sure. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, it, uh, yeah, I, I was Star Wars. Star mm-hmm. Wars was my life because, right, because we are the age we are. Uh, like I was six in 1977 when it came out and it was. Just, right. That's so formative. Right. <sighs> yeah. Like, oh, what yeah. is this? Yes. And it's like, that's another thing. Like I can say that changed my life, but it changed, it changed your life. Most likely it changed yep. like all of us who were that age. It's just mm-hmm. like, uh, I, I, and like the world has opened up. It's just like, you're not just going to go sit in a dark theater and watch something on a screen. It's just like, mm. this is like, this is captivating. What is this on the screen that I'm watching? Yeah. Um, and uh, and so Star Wars was my first love, and it mm-hmm. was uh, it was everything. Um, and I watched like because I was raised by my mom and my granny. Um, my mom and I don't really have a relationship, but granny, uh, we'd watch like the, you know the news and uh, Young and the Restless and stuff like that. And then she would watch Star Trek because it's now in you know syndication in the early seventies. Right. But I don't. Uh, I kind of remember it, but not really. And so I just never, I saw some of the films when they came out. Like I obviously saw uh, Voyage Home in 86, you know, because mm-hmm. I would see movies, but I wasn't, I wasn't connected to any of the characters or anything, but it was a great film. Um, and so it was um, uh, meeting um, uh, Chris, who I talk about in the show. Um, we, got together um we we met in person at fan expo here in toronto and mm-hmm. uh we we started a relationship pretty much soon after that and then he was like you know you, we met at this you know basically a convention like a sci-fi convention but you've never watched star trek next generation because like mm. like i keep saying like when you know we're we're where we're age right our age it's like this is we would have been 87 Mm-hmm. And next gen came on, so it was like I was 16. So it was like a lot of people uh, of our generation watched Next Generation. Like that's that's their slash our Star Trek. But I never watched it. Like mm. I just never got into it. I had no interest. And they just never watched it 
uh, never went back to watch it on TV or anything. And then he's just like, it's just weird that you weren't into like next generation. And I was like, mm. I'm, it's Star Wars. Like, I don't need Star Trek. I have Star Wars. And then um, in 2009, uh, the J.J. Abrams film came out of Star Trek. And uh, it's so funny because I mentioned this in the show. Whenever I say that, there's been some times like it seems like there's going to be a rumble. <laughs> I can't see anything, but some people are like, yeah. And then some people are like, so people and it, this is also a really weird thing because doing my show people uh, it's not they don't heckle but they talk back like they're i'll say something and because it's basically just like like i said like your buddy talking to you mm. i'll say something and they're like oh my god like they just react and i'll be like i know <laughs> right so then i say most of the time when i say this abrams thing there is like in the audience that i hear but i can't right because you know when you're standing on a stage you can't you feel the energy but like you don't really yeah. know what's going on out there because it's just pitch mm -hmm. black and so i always pause at that moment and i say like, I don't know if there's going to be a fight or something because there's like, there's always this, it's people against each other. Some are for and some are against. It's a very, you know, people get very worked up with uh, mm -hmm. Abrams and Star Trek. And so uh, I had no interest in seeing it. Um, but Chris and our friend Sean wanted to see it. I was like, okay, I'm going to go. Uh, I'll watch you guys geek out. And, you know, I'll just, it'll be, it'll be a, probably a good action film. And so we went and um, I, and I talk about this in, in my show, uh, Star Wars, when I watched it in 1977, like I felt this spark come alive inside of me. Like that was when I understood the power of cinema and uh, it's, it, it was just the most incredible feeling. Um, in my marriage, I was with him for 10 years. Hmm. Uh, it, uh, it, it was a really weird thing. He, he, we met working at Cineplex. He had to see like every film that came out. Hmm. So our lives were basically like going to like several movies every single day hmm. for like 10 years. So like hmm. it was just become this obsession. And then, you know, through that, it was just, uh, he, he was very controlling um, I totally lost my identity. Um, and, uh, going to movies wasn't a joy anymore. And it's always such a weird thing for me to say, like being forced to go to the movies all the time. Mm. It's just, it's, it's like, every time I say it, it's just a bizarre thing. It's just like, I don't think you can understand, <laughs> but I was being forced to go all the time. Mm. And that's why I started kind of like not meeting him up, not meeting him a lot for like the first set of films and that's when I started drinking because I mm. I wanted I had to like stop doing something and then that got obviously totally out of control um but uh yeah and so I lost so my love of movies like disappeared I didn't feel anything anymore like I'd watch a film and I would like it but I wouldn't feel anything and then after I left my husband I walked out after 10 years and that's when I started at Second City because I wanted to like I wanted to have a life. I wanted to start life mm -hmm. again. And it's like I'm about to turn 30. I'm like, how do normal people live? Like, mm. <laughs> I don't know. You go take comedy classes. Um, and I rarely went to the movies. Like, if only if it was like a big blockbuster, just to see it on the big screen. 
but it was like, oh, that was great. But I wouldn't like really feel anything. And then we go to see the J.J. Abrams Star Trek film and having no expectations whatsoever, I was sucked right back in and I was like, oh my God, like I was so blown away. And the feeling that I had when I was six years old watching Star Wars A New Hope came Mm. flooding back to me. Like I Mm. felt uh, alive again. I was like so grateful Mm. that my love of cinema had come back to me. Uh, and then he was like, oh, cool. So do you want to try next generation now? And I'm like, no. Ah. <laughs> I was like, that was one film. It was really cool. Um, and then we, but then four years went by and we watched, uh, Into Darkness, the next J.J. Abrams film and loved that. Uh, and then afterwards, you know, he's like, I'm going to try next gen. And I was like, you know what? Yeah. Like, let's do it. But I'm like why would like let's do the whole thing Mm. so like there's no point in only watching next generation like there's like a whole bunch of series so let's do it all and so over the next Mm. two years we binged everything so starting with next generation so it was like seven seasons of next gen into seven seasons of deep space nine into seven seasons of voyager into four seasons of enterprise and then went back to three seasons of the original series uh, and then the two seasons of the animated series Mm -hmm. and then watched all of the films. And that was two years. That was like two years straight. I have to back up for a second because (laughs) to get started in, at, in, in, in next generation Mm -hmm. and you've, you've never been a Star Trek fan and you, you made it through the first two years of Star Trek and didn't bail on it. I'm impressed. There were so, I actually liked, I thought, Oh, if it's going to be this cheesy, I really like it. Like I was so into it. Um, There were, Mm. I mean, there were some really great episodes. Like there were a lot of, there were some in the first couple of years, but it really, you know, it's a hard slog the first couple of seasons. Yeah. Um, and then we just don't talk about Code of Honor. No, uh, no, never, <laughs> never. So as as do like the many of the actors are like, nope, let's just forget about that. Um, yes, yes. That's just general I remember I was listening to the Mission Log podcast mm, and yeah. when they got to that episode, they were like, Okay, so this is racist, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And we still have to talk about it. Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. And they did, but they were like, this is racist. So yes, yeah. we never talk about that except to say that one's racist. Let's move on. Yes. It's like the lighting was great in this scene. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Tasha's lipstick looked, you know, really great. <laughs> yeah. But you, you made it through that and you, 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 cause I think for, for me as somebody who was sort of like, Yes, I loved Star Wars, but Star Trek was also on on like Sunday afternoons when nothing Mm. else was on. And so you would watch it. So, you know, I was sort of a fan. And then when the next generation started, like it was like, okay, so it's Star Trek. I guess it's fine. This isn't great, but it's there. (laughs) Um, And it wasn't until like season three that, you know, everybody started watching it. You know, season three, season four. And then you got the, right, you got the cliffhanger. Yeah. Yes, best of yes. both worlds at the end of season right. three. It's like, yes. you know, Mr. Worf, fire. And you're, and that's like, when, that's when it was like, wait a second, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> and then, I mean, everybody, obviously, you were watching at the time, you had to wait a whole summer 
to see what happens. Yes. Whereas yes. I just, I just, you just, you just went next right away. Yeah. Yes. I'm like, oh my God. I went to go pee. You, you don't know how good you had it. <laughs> you don't know how good you had it. For me, that's like, I, I was, you know, I was watching uh, the reimagined Battlestar Galactica with, uh, when it was in real time. Mm. And there's a cliffhanger in the middle of that series and now you just go, like go on to the next DVD, and I always have to stop if I'm watching it with somebody new. And so, just so you know, yeah, <laughs> we had to wait six months. Yeah, you know, just to make sure that you know, we had to wait before we got to see what happened. So, yes, and they, enjoy this luxury. Yeah, they also don't understand we had to wait an entire summer to find out who shot Jr. Oh yeah, it's true. <laughs> that was it's true. That was but interesting that, as well for for other people. Like a lot of people that are younger than us, they're like, who's JR? I know. So it's like a thing that, that is like only only us older folks <laughs> really get that reference. Back in my day. Back yeah. in my day on the That's, television. You know, when there were yes. only three networks. When there were three networks plus the CBC. I had to get up to the television to change I had to the turn the channel <laughs> with a knob. Um, yeah. But the so you made it through the the entire series like everything you watched everything. it all and then ten days. Did you ever later, go back and watch it? Yeah, I have. But ten days okay, after yeah. we finished, we we flew down to Vegas for the uh, uh, Star Trek Las Vegas convention, the biggest Star Trek convention. Oh yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and mm. so it's literally finished it, and then all of a sudden we're down in Vegas, and I was like, oh my god, mm. yeah. And it was mm. there, so that was it. Was that was why the show came about? Because I, um, I, you know, you're watching a few Q and As, and you can go up and ask questions if you want. You had to line up, and I was like, I can't ask a question. Um, but I, uh, I went up for a Deep Space Nine one because like, Deep Space mm. Nine is my favorite of all the series, and um, uh, one of my favorite actresses, Casey Biggs, who played Damar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he was, uh, he didn't have a big role until like the last couple of seasons of deep space nine, but he was like, um, he was an alcoholic. Like he was mm-hmm. the, the Cardassian, this alien race, mm-hmm. but an alcoholic. And I'm like, what's going on? Like when I was watching it and, uh, because deep space nine was like storylines carried over episodes and scenes, yes. you really got in yes. the like like next gen was more episodic and then voyager went back to being episodic it's just like we're going to completely ignore everything that happened uh, mm. and just start fresh and i hated that like because i would finish each series before starting the next one like on tv they would overlap by a couple of seasons so that you would get used to a new star trek uh, and then watch that but i finished one completely before going on the next so voyager was the shock to the system i was just like wow it's really this one episode stands alone and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, but Deep Space Nine, I love so much because there's so much development. Um, and this this tiny character became huge in the last two seasons. Uh, and, you know, he, he was an alcoholic and then uh, stopped drinking, you know, and spoiler alert, helped the revolution <laughs> against the Cardassians. <laughs> um but uh, and so he was on the panel and I'm like, I'm too nervous to ask him a question because I just love him so much. Like I couldn't talk to him. Um, and right before the Deep Space Nine panel was a, uh, a tribute to because this was the year that Leonard Nimoy had passed away. Right. Um, so he had passed away a few months before the convention. Uh, and a few months before that, the actress Grace Lee Whitney 
had passed away and she played Yeoman Rand on mm. uh, like the first half of the first season of the original Star Trek. And yes. uh, she had um, problems with uh, drugs and alcohol, unfortunately, mm. um, but she was fired because there was a Paramount executive, uh, sorry, trigger warning again for anybody. There was a Paramount uh, executive that attempted to sexually assault her mm. in one of the offices one night and uh fortunately she got away but he was like pissed and he convinced uh the studio to let her go based mm. on her drug and alcohol abuse and so they did so they listened to him they did and she was down on her luck and but it was leonard nimoy and deforest kelly who helped her get back on her feet mm. and then she got sober and spent the the next 35 years of her life helping other um recovering alcoholics you know, get better. And I knew nothing about her. And I'm sitting wow. watching this tribute and I'm like, um, watching what I've gone through, um, in my life, like, because I started drinking in my marriage. Um, and I eventually got sober. Um, but then a friend of mine, uh, took her life. One of my friends mm. in the, in the fight league. Mm. And I immediately relapsed because I couldn't, mm uh we were really good friends and i was like i didn't understand how i couldn't see the signs or she couldn't ask for help and mm. i went back to the bottle um uh and then like uh, i drank for a week it was really mm. bad and then finally asked for help and then went to an aa meeting so i've been i've been sober ever since so last mm. month um was 13 years sobriety well, congratulations for me. thank you i'm very you know especially in this covid you know craziness being here you know mm. in my house in my home for like mm. eight months i've i've kept you know my sobriety close to me mm. so i'm really proud of that so um so this tribute blew me away like i basically sat and just cried as i watched it and then was the deep space nine panel and i thought oh i'm gonna go up and ask a question not to casey because he's on the panel but oh my god mm. i've got two questions ready and uh for the other actors and then um the the, the q a starts the moderator does both my questions. I'm like, oh mm. my God. Uh, and then <laughs> says, okay, we're going to go to the audience now and go right ahead. And it was me. And I, I tried to start talking and I'm getting tongue tied. And then I just started crying mm. at the mic. And I, and I say this in my show. And then I, I said, I apologize. I'm so sorry. This is coming after the Grace Lee Whitney tribute. Um, I had no idea about, you know, her, uh, her alcoholism. I'm coming up on eight years of sobriety myself. Like this came out of nowhere. Mm. And I was like, what did I just mm. do? And then uh, the ballroom was 5,000 people and it just started cheering and applauding. Mm. Uh, and then I was like, uh, I had to like, you know, collect myself. And I'm like, oh, I, okay. So I have a question. Um, I guess my question is for Casey. So I ended up asking him about his character mm. and, and, you know, how, what it was like to work with the writers and such and such. And so like, he congratulated me on my sobriety and then just talked about how wonderful it was to have this character. Mm. Um, and then he finished and then um, the actor two seats down from him played his superior in the mm. show, Marco Limo. And he goes, do you mind if I say something? And I was like, no, go ahead. And he then came out and said that, when he was a little boy, his mother was an alcoholic and mm. she uh, ended up dying from it. And he was still too young to understand 
what that meant. And he carried the guilt for years because he thought like he had done something because he was mm. so young. Um, but it took him a long time to heal. But then now he does what he can if people need help, you know, with, with their, you know, their problems or he does what he can mm. to help people on their journey. Uh, oh, congratulations on your sobriety. And I was like, I was just like dumbstruck. Mm. I couldn't mm-hmm. like this. It wasn't, it wasn't a sci-fi show anymore. It wasn't like just TV or entertainment. Like this mm-hmm. was now like my, my life, my world, mm. this was home. And, and so I left, I walked back to my seat and people were like, you know, high-fiving me as I went by and I got back to the seat and then uh, the panel finished and I'm like, I'm not sure if I can walk for a little bit because I'm still shaking. Like, I'm like, what the hell mm. did I just do? Um, but people are walking by and they're like smiling and nodding. And this woman like just makes this beeline towards me. And she's like, were you the woman at the mic earlier? And I was like, um, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. And she's like, I, she's like, oh my God. Like I've, I've been coming to this convention for four years. I've been sober for like over 20 years now. And I just want to thank you so much because like, I've always wondered if there's anybody else like me here. And I, I want to mm. thank you for making me realize that I'm not alone. Mm. And we became really good friends uh, and the convention wrapped up. And the so the first time I did Damn It Jim, uh, it was mostly about characters that I related to. So you kind of mm. had to know Star Trek. So it was like, it took me a long time to realize that this show was actually about my journey as a recovering alcoholic right? and how the show helped me. It took many, mm. it took until I got to uh, Orlando for me to finally figure that out. Um, mm. And the second time I did it uh, in 2016, when I went back to do it at SoloCom, um, I had gone back to the convention in 2016 because it was the 50th anniversary Mm. So went back to Vegas and my friend that had come up to me, um, we actually held an AA meeting in my room mm. at the end of the convention. So I, I to keep her anonymity. I was the one who was like the face of the group and I posted in all these Facebook groups and everything. And, uh, and we put flyers out for people to like, you know, if you, if you need help or anything like this, mm. we're going to have this meeting. If you can't come, here's an email address we've created. You can contact us if you just need to reach out. And then, yeah. And then at the end of the convention, it was like a few minutes, a few minutes before it was supposed to start. And we're sitting there alone in my mm. room and we're like, nobody's coming. It's like, well, we, we still put ourselves out there. We should be proud. And then all of a sudden there's a knock at the door and then people started coming in mm. Uh and then it's like, right, everybody comes late to AA meetings. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. And so it just became so like this show that was mm. just a show ended up changing the trajectory of my life. And then mm. doing the show. And the more I do the show, I I go to the door after my show. Uh, well, I used to back when we were performing on stage. Right. Uh, I'd finish my show. And at the end, I would say, uh, I actually pulled out, I pull out my 24 hour chip that I got at my first meeting. Hmm. Uh, and, and then I say, I'm now up to blah, blah, um, years of sobriety. And then I say, if anybody, if you ever feel like you need to reach out to somebody, I want to make a pledge to you. If you need to, and you can't, please contact me. Mm-hmm. I want to be here for you because the message of my show is like, you're not alone. 
So like, right. we're not alone in the world. We're not, you're not alone in the Federation in space hmm. or anything like that. And so that's what Star Trek means to me. And then I go to the door as people are leaving and I'm like, if you want a hug, I, I would hmm. love to give you a hug uh, on the way out. And then I give, um, I hand out individually wrapped packages of Earl Grey tea <laughs> with my contact information on the back. Very nice. So, so it's like, you know, Twitter, uh, email and all that stuff. And so people mm. take it and the it's, it's mostly hugs uh, mm. on the way out. And a lot of people whisper like, Oh, I, I just got to two years. Mm. Or, I got my 30 day chip last week. And it's just like, the more I would do this show, the more connected I felt with people who were so thankful to see it. And any fringe I did, like people would come back and see it again, which mm. always meant so much. And so yeah. um, it's, it, just totally yeah so it changed just from like me going on like how can I do a one-woman show how do I write a one-woman show and mm. then seeing how the show has developed over time and then realizing um I guess some stuff when I was taking workshops over the years might have stuck but the real training I got for doing my one-woman shows was speaking at meetings because mm. you're you, the show you're watching a show you've got like it's three parts you know you got your your beginning your middle and your end and at aa and i say aa a lot on my show and i'd say i'm not preaching it aa worked for me like aa saved my life it doesn't work for everybody but there mm. are other programs out there um that can help but for me personally this is what worked and saved my life um and so when you if you're a speaker at an aa meeting uh you like the the thing from the big book it's like oh you talk about what it was like um you know how it started what it was like and what it's like now so it's basically you're talking about three different parts like three different segments so you're talking about what life was like before how the drinking got started and got bad and then how things are today so it's like i didn't realize for like years that i by speaking, by being asked to be a speaker at a meeting, I was like already starting to develop my story long before Star Trek. Mm. So that was, so it was really, and I only realized this like last year. I was like, mm. oh my God. So it's, mm. you never know, you know, so it's, so I also say this like, cause people go through, uh, like I said, like I'm not an actor. I'm just standing on the stage. You never know where you're going to get inspiration from. Like you mm -hmm. don't need to like go to, you can go to theater school. You can go to school for whatever to learn things. Um, you will never learn anything as much as you do just in life mm. in general. And if you just kind of like pay attention to things and like take note, you realize years later over time, you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> That's also yeah. what you learn as you get older. You're like, oh, shit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so doing all that stuff, like, like it's like having no training or anything just by like going through all these things in life and then feeling like how can I you know I'm 47 and I'm about to do my mm. first fringe festival like what mm. am I thinking this is the stupidest mm. thing in the world and I'm like why like this you were meant to do this at this time you yeah. had to go through all of this stuff in your life this is why my show connects with people because mm -hmm. I've, I've been through the ringer I've been through you know, my trauma and depression and everything. And I still struggle with it, but I, I keep doing my show. I love doing my show 
Um, and it still scares me, but I love getting up and I love talking about it because by talking about things, it helps mm -hmm. So by talking, um, it helps heal. And so then it's like, then people want to talk about it afterwards. And then I feel so much better because then I, I'm always like realizing and discovering new things in my, in my journey and my healing. So I get mm -hmm. so much from other people and then seeing other fringe shows. So like going on the fringe and, and like being able to do this, like this, this crazy show and just be able to do whatever I want um, and discover everything on my own. So it's like everything I've gone through, I've kind of like had to like self teach myself stuff, mm -hmm. but it's, it's ended up working um, for me. And then like in, in this pandemic and the quarantine, I've been sitting here at home. Um, I did a storytelling piece uh, on a, on a Facebook page one day near the end of March and then, uh, and I was like, I think I'm going to do a Facebook live video on Monday mm. at noon. If anybody, like, I don't know, I'll just shoot the shit if anybody wants to show up and talk. And then I ended up doing that Monday to Friday, like for weeks mm. at mm. noon. And I would just talk and that helped, uh, get me out of my head. It made me get out of bed mm. and get dressed and brush my hair, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, because I had to be, cause I was kind of doing a show but I was just talking. And so it's literally like, I haven't, um, cause I've been in the service industry my whole life. My last shift was March 11th. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. but it's actually my, my art and my shows. And just the fact that, uh, it's me, like my shows are me that mm -hmm. helps me, uh, like stay connected and actually help me get through, um, all of these really difficult months because I'm just yeah. doing exactly what I do and it's just like people say like oh my god it was just so nice like it's just comforting to hear you talk or mm -hmm. whatever and there's a lot of times I've like just like sat and talked about things and I've become upset like my mental health might not be, not be good that day and I've like mm -hmm. cried on my live video um but people are like you know thanks for doing that because you know, like I'm too ashamed to admit that I'm not okay and it's yeah. tough, but yeah. I, I realized the more that I do my shows and the more I talk, I'm trying to talk about mental health more and, yeah. um, it's really great, but I've, I've really been struggling like these past few months and not admitting it like I should. So I'm kind of happy. Well, I'm happy to be doing this podcast interview with the anyway, but I, I'm just really thankful that, uh, I'm doing this. Cause like saying the words, like, I'm not, I'm not okay. I'm okay, but I'm not okay. And I want, and it's, I have to work at that Yeah. I, by talking about it and by doing my shows and, um, it really helps. And then, cause there's so many of us in the theater community who are not okay right now, who are not doing our shows and, and stuff and, uh, not knowing when we can back, get back on stage. Yeah, like doing online stuff is it's still stuff, but it's a lot different. It's tough, but it's certainly not. It's certainly not. Yeah. It doesn't feel like theater. That's for sure. It's not the same. Yeah. But I still feel because of the way I do my show and because I'm a solo performer, um, normally people could only see my shows when I was touring around. It's like, oh, when are you mm -hmm. here? When are you coming here? And I'm like, I don't. I would love to come, but I can't afford the plane tickets. Like it costs a lot of money. Yeah. Like I lost a lot of money 
last year touring. I didn't make my money back in ticket sales, which was another really hard thing to do. But um, I just had a recording of Damn It Jim from the Ottawa Fringe last year as part of the Hartford Fringe Festival online for mm. a month. It just finished. Um, I ended up winning Best of the Fringe. Nice. And uh, yeah, that was really great. I'm like, I didn't even need to perform. But I worked my ass off promoting it. Yeah. People to yeah. watch and to vote. So um, people don't realize it's more work to promote your show and to market your show than to do the show itself. Oh, 100%. <laughs> 100 percent i know from my own stuff is like i've like i so exhausted you know especially at fringe like mm-hmm. and as an introvert i'm like i hate this but you're out there just trying to talk to people and 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 get them to come and see your show and and at the end of the day people are like let's go to the fringe tent and i'm like no i need to go to my billets and cry. i need to go and sleep yeah <laughs> absolutely but for absolutely. this um it actually it was actually things have actually been okay um uh for for, for this past month because my friends uh in Australia could finally see my show my friends in South mm-hmm. Korea finally saw my right. show my friends in the UK and Germany and you know uh like you know all over the world were finally able to see my show so even though i can't see them in person I'm, I was still able to connect with them. And so it's been really mm-hmm. interesting, like having been, you know, in here for like eight months, not, not working my job, but I realized I still, I've been working at yeah. getting myself out there. And it's, it's my art mm-hmm. my shows, my storytelling that has brought me this, this tiny little pockets of money here and there. And I'm like, Oh my God. So now when yeah. I like sending things out, like here's I oh, writing blurbs, and bios uh, is the worst yeah. thing. I don't want to ever write one again. It's more horrible than writing the show and marketing it, in my opinion. Yep. I just, I, I hate it. I just, I hate it so much. I can't, yeah. it's the word, I can't compact things. I can't do like a Coles Notes version, as you can tell by this interview. It just <laughs> running hot. I can't like just do bullet points for something. And so like, how do I compact everything? And I have to write a blurb for you, so... That, yeah. Well, that, you just have to give me, you can give me whatever bio you usually give. So. I, I've now collected a bunch. So that's, that's okay. Odd. I find you know, I, I learned years ago, I learned years ago, just have a bio in your back pocket uh, so that somebody says, I need a bio. You're like, here's my bio. I just have it in a saved file because I hate writing them. And if it's always, otherwise you, you end up writing a, one special for this show and we all hate doing it and mm-hmm. this way i'm always like the first person to get my bio in yeah well polly thank you thank you so much for, for for coming on i really appreciate you talking to me tonight thank you This has been a Homebody Productions production.